0: I'm Mark Peterson and this is Before, During and After, a podcast from FEMA. Heat and extreme heat continues to impact communities across the globe. We've seen more frequent events and cascading disasters over the past few years. Staying ahead of them requires we review our response plans regularly and make adjustments as needed, but also think about both the short and long terms to ensure a whole community approach to keeping people safe. With that in mind, this episode is the first of a four-part series in support of FEMA's Summer Ready campaign. We're exploring the effects of extreme heat and how collaborating among local, state, tribal, federal partners can lead to more educated communities. On this episode, we will recap FEMA's recent monumental agency-wide extreme heat summit hosted in Chicago and discuss the events and the impacts for how FEMA will address extreme heat events and our look towards resilience efforts. We also discuss our upcoming Summer Ready campaign to provide awareness and education for high temperatures. Okay, so to support uh, the first of what are what is going to be a four part series, really focusing on uh, FEMA's summer ready campaign, we're excited to be joined by three really uh, fantastic panelists who are going to talk a little bit about what FEMA has been doing in the area of extreme heat uh, as we uh, move into the summer months. And uh, so to that end, I have Victoria Salinas, the Acting Deputy Administrator for Resilience. Thank you so much for joining me. Once again, this is the second time you've joined the podcast. Uh, It's great to see you.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: And then we also have Justin Knighton, his first time joining the the podcast, the Director of External Affairs at Headquarters. Justin, thanks so much. Good to see you. And I know you're coming to us live from uh, Puerto Rico.
2: Hello, everyone. Really great to be here. Thrilled to talk about FEMA's new hashtag Summer Ready campaign, an effort to help boost preparedness and address the effects of extreme heat.
0: And then to round out the, the conversation, Tom Sivak uh, from FEMA Region 5, uh, it's, it's great to have you and uh, be part of this because you are a driving force in, uh, in what we are doing as an agency to think about extreme heat. Tom, thanks.
3: Hey, great to be here. Great to see everyone. And we're looking forward to a, a great podcast today.
0: So we're, we're approaching the summer months. Uh, and what we know about summer everywhere in the United States is that, uh, the temperatures begin to rise. Um, but before the summer, uh, FEMA has taken some time to think about the impacts of extreme heat, knowing that, you know, for a, a lot of parts of the nation, those extreme temperatures are becoming more and more prevalent. Even earlier in the year, it presents challenges or our emergency management counterparts at the state, local, tribal, and territorial level. Um, And so I want to have you talk a little bit about what we as an agency did in May uh, with our extreme heat summit. May was very busy, but Thanks to you, we were able to pull together uh, really a great collaboration of uh, leaders to talk about extreme heat. Tell me about that at summit.
3: Yeah, it was so exciting. So, uh, you know, before we get into the summit, just a story, you know, w- w- uh, where did this all come from? When we were uh, sitting here in the office and focusing on climate change, which is, of course, our uh, our one of our strategic goals uh, here at FEMA, and across the nation you know one of the things that came up was well what are we going to do about extreme heat and so i took what the administrator charges all of us to do which is think bold think big and think outside the box and when i did when i started talking to our colleagues across the nation and emergency managers i started thinking about well where did the epicenter of one of the largest catastrophic catastrophic events take place and that was right here in chicago so the vision was why don't we bring people to where uh, this happened and talk about best practices and opportunities, because we know extreme heat is a predictable surprise. Every single year, our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners are going to experience some aspect of extreme heat. And when that happens, uh, it's uh, the administrator always says, okay, so we know the what, so what, now what? And this really gave us an opportunity to springboard into that conversation overall. But really, where did the vision come from? When I was sitting in my office one day, I was actually asked by you, Mark, why FEMA? Why extreme heat? Why us? What can we do? And I went back to what the administrator and what many of our leaders across the agency talk about and across emergency management, which is we have the power to convene. We can bring people together. We have the ability to coordinate, communicate, and really engage in something that we know can impact our communities that we serve across the nation. So we established a collaborative planning team best practice. It's the one thing that I absolutely love to do, which we brought our resilience team from headquarters. We had our national exercise division. Uh, we had the chief medical officer, a fellow who was focused on extreme heat. And we charged them with, let's bring all of our agency together, both uh, the headquarters team and, the, uh, and then also our regional team members. And then also let's bring our federal agencies together and let's talk about one topic which was Extreme Heat and Bring Thought Leaders Together. But before we did that, we actually brought people in to have the conversation about why the impacts of extreme heat are important to the emergency management community and to the healthcare community and to really the communities that we serve. So we used uh, our FEMA's Guide to Community Engagement, which is phenomenal, brought our emergency managers into a room. We brought also brought health departments, area agencies on aging, state uh, emergency management together, and we had a conversation, and the whole conversation focused on extreme heat, what keeps you up at night, why does this matter? And one of the things that came up was that we have disproportionately impacted communities across across the nation. Uh, it, we, it came up with the concerns about critical infrastructure and the exacerbated effects of heat and climate change and how they can come up with nature-based solutions to be able to actually alleviate the urban heat islands that exist. And what we were finding is it's just not urban heat islands in a large metropolitan area or like a large city like the city of Chicago. We actually found that across Northern Illinois, there are actually many heat islands that uh, take place as well when we have certain effects. So we talked for three hours. It was all focused on older adults, children, and unhoused. Uh, We talked about barriers, the the challenges that our emergency management faces. And then also we talked about resilience and we talked about how uh, the communities can come together and think about what to do when that extreme heat event happens, but then also resiliency hubs came into play and how those are going to be leveraged as well. So a lot of great conversation. What did that end up coming into? It was an opportunity to talk about that right at the heat summit. So we did it like literally two two weeks prior to, and then it came into the summit. And what did the summit include? It was so exciting. We had over 120 people. We had Administrator Quiswell present for a a portion of it. We had the fire administrator, Dr. Romero, part of it. We had Victoria who came in overseeing resilience. uh, That was part of this whole uh, conversation. And we had all of our regions that were uh, around the table as well. And most importantly, we brought subject matter experts together, we convened, and we shared that information about what we heard, but then also discussed what the challenges were from critical infrastructure to occupational health, taking care of our workforce, to then also, what is it that we're going to do about it? And so it was one of these things of at the end of the summit, I look back and I saw that we brought federal, state, local, nonprofit, private sector partners together, Nine federal agencies. In the end of the day, anyone from NOAA to National Weather Service, Environmental Protection Agency, FEMA, CISA, HHS, CDC, Department of Defense, Department of Labor, OSHA, uh, and the Department of Transportation to focus on one topic, bringing thought leaders together. And one of the things that we found is that we can build resilience and meet communities where they're at. While we focus on extreme heat, but then also the exacerbated effects on it. So it was very, very, very exciting to convene all of these conversations. But the other side of it was what do we do about this now? And this is the opportunity that we have to basically take everything that we discussed and move forward. It was exciting because we are doing the closing conversations and Victoria uh, really offered a charge about building resilience and focusing on nature-based solutions. And uh, the administrator offered how we're, we are thinking bold and we have the opportunity to really focus on uh, bringing communities together and focusing on this uh, important topic. But Also, it was, what about imagining a world where we don't have to have this as uh, a challenge that our communities face, but that we actually have solutions that we can uh, discuss as well. So it was very, 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 very exciting to have the initial heat summit. What was more exciting was the opportunities we have springboarding right into summer as well. And before I end, I just want to say, I got to give a shout out to our Region 5 uh, teams who came together. Uh, it was many of them that focused, uh, took time away from their day job to focus on this important topic. They really wanted to make sure that it was a success and it was a success and it was showing how we all come together and we can wrap our arms around what what we can do when we discuss this topic, but then also the opportunities that await to really drive uh, the conversation as well. So it's, it's all about our mission helping people before, during, and after disasters. And the measures of resilience that we saw that took place in this conversation is that it's going to springboard into more opportunities to be able to engage with the emergency management community and focus on extreme heat and the exacerbated effects of climate change.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly it takes a, a, it's a big effort to, to pull together an event like that. And it's also a big commitment from our leaders to spend that kind of time uh, to talk about this topic, and you know, Victoria, you are um, a, certainly a champion of Goal Two of our strategic, uh, our strategic plan—the uh, plan that our administrator has charged us with to lead the nation in climate resilience. And Victoria, I, I, you know, coming from your position uh, at, our, at headquarters and, and overseeing resilience, tell me—you know—what were your key takeaways from the two days that you spent with us?
1: First, we were thrilled when Tom came to Resilience and asked us to co-sponsor the, the heat summit, because it's something that we have been really working with many different partners on for a while. And so that opportunity to come together with so many senior leaders for those two days with a cross section of people from across the federal agencies, other partners, really brought us forward as an agency in and having a shared understanding of risk. And that's one of the Foundation pieces of building resilient communities is having a shared understanding of risk, and I really think that the heat summit enabled us to do that, which was really exciting. And I think it also, from our perspective and my perspective, is was was a great launching pad for going further with many of our existing initiatives. So, for example, uh, we have been. Putting a lot of effort into, like I said, really bringing awareness to the fact that extreme heat is one of the most pervasive and preventable weather-related hazards. Most people die from it every single year. Extreme heat is damaging infrastructure, roads, electrical grids. I think you're having a session on critical infrastructure soon as part of this series. It puts stress on air conditionings and makes them more expensive to run. It kills crops, livestock, c- puts stress on food systems. It contributes to wildfire and drought. The list goes on. And so it was just really wonderful to come together with so many of our colleagues to focus on extreme heat. And that really lays the groundwork and, and provides a springboard for many of the other things that we've been, been focused on. And I, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, we have for really been focused on trying to make sure that that grantees and state, local, tribal, territorial emergency managers know that FEMA is a resource for tackling extreme heat. Last year, we only had about, it's, and this is a number that just went up, 7% of our brick applications had extreme heat as one of the hazards that they tackle, despite extreme heat being the biggest killer year over year. And so we want to see that number go up right? That's about awareness. It's also about lowering barriers to our programs. And so last year, we also changed with OMB, the Office of Management and Budget of the White House, the benefit cost analysis to let more extreme heat and drought projects make it through the review queue, right? And so that was a tactical thing we did because we want to see more extreme heat projects come through. It also means that we have been really focused on using various platforms that FEMA has available to it. So we are uh, we we run the Resilient Nations Partnership Network as 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 you know and for us that's been about really having partnership lead to advances in practice. And so we've been a big shout out to to Peter Herrick and Brad Dean for all their work with RNPN This is a group that brings 1,600 organizations together, and they're focused on promoting natural hazard mitigation, climate adaptation, advancing equitable resilience initiatives, expanding partnerships. And this past year, for instance, one of the areas that we tackled was extreme heat. And RNPN uh, had its extreme, they they had an ideation hour that was focused on extreme uh, heat resilience, and it tackled everything from extreme heat and housing, extreme heat as a threat multiplier, extreme heat as a public hazard, extreme heat and local planning and capital improvements. And so, because as you can see, there's this theme where there's been conversation, there's been focus, but having all of FEMA come together at the leadership level with our key partners to focus on extreme heat itself is a force multiplier. And it's an opportunity for us to, in a more purposeful way, bring our, our senior subject matter experts to this challenge. And and I'll also give a a shout out to Nick Shufro, who was on the podcast with me last time when we were talking extreme heat. FEMA, he represents us as an agency in that National Integrated Health Heat Information System, which is an interagency initiative that's got NOAA, HHS, CDC, EPA, and we, FEMA, at the table, really trying to make sure that there's more science-based products and services that are helping implement these strategies to improve capacity and communication to reduce heat-related illness and death. And so it's this great confluence of... A lot of great work has been happening, but with the senior level attention that the heat summit was able to bring in partnership with Tom and region five, we're really going into the summer strong into our next brick Flood mitigation assistance season strong with and even our summer ready campaign that I'm excited to hear Justin talk about bringing more awareness so that we have more of our nation understanding this risk and therefore being able to take action to reduce this risk and save lives.
0: I think those, those grant opportunities are tremendously valuable. And we talked to, we talked a bit about that during the heat summit, uh, Victoria, can I just ask you, um, you know, it's, it's not just the awareness. We're also doing technical assistance, right?
1: Absolutely. We have so many different uh, avenues to do technical assistance through our BRIC direct technical assistance programs and many other types of technical assistance. We're seeing, so nature-based solutions, as Tom rightly mentioned, is one of the best approaches to uh, really making sure communities are able to deal with heat island effects, urban heat island effects, and and extreme heat generally. So we're seeing our teams provide so much direct uh, support to communities on uh, thinking through Resilient strategies and, and approaches to that. And one thing I would add too is, and again, this is a really exciting time for FEMA. Our new hazard mitigation planning guide takes climate change into account, ask communities to think about future conditions, to plan for extreme heat and underserved communities, making sure that we're tackling goal two, but also goal one of instilling equity as a foundation of emergency management. And so with that, we're seeing the regions, we're seeing headquarters, we're seeing our emergency management partners at all levels of government start to really grapple with how do we do this better? And so the momentum is there, the technical assistance is there, we're seeing a burgeoning of resources and tools to really support all levels of our society to address this hazard.
0: One of the things that stood out to me, uh, and as you talk about technical assistance, everybody's a little bit different across the country um, that, you know, from heat domes that affect the Pacific Northwest to urban heat events that, that really impact like Chicago, like Tom said, um, Tom and Victoria, talk to me a little bit about what, what you heard, what you understand understood from the other regions that were there. It wasn't just, it wasn't just region five.
3: No, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about all the conversations that took place, and one thing was clear: extreme heat affects us all, and that was very clear. I I think about it like Region 10, Willie Nunn, and Willie was talking about the Pacific. Uh, the, that's the last really catastrophic, you know, heat event that took place, and that was just back in 2021. Uh, You know, these predictable surprises are taking place all the time now. Uh, Just last year or or during that pandemic, uh, Region 2, we had Deputy Regional Administrator Andy DeMora, who Andy talked about when he worked for the uh, New York City and when they were figuring out how to get air conditioners because everything was closed down during COVID. So how do you get air conditioners to the communities that need it most? Uh, We heard from, let's see here, Region 4, where they were really focusing on how does this affect us? And one of the things I found was clear: is this extreme heat is different across the country. The Pacific Northwest—they don't have air conditioners. Their homes aren't built uh, the way that we would think that homes are built in areas that experience uh, that 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 type of you know extreme heat. And then we also started bringing up the conversation of it's not just extreme heat. There are other things that are impacted by it, and that was what the, some of the other regions were saying around around the corner. You, you know when. Um, Region 6 was talking about mitigation measures as well. You, you talk about it. Every single region's impacted by this. It's in resilience and, and, and mitigating the effects of extreme heat is what was really interesting because I loved hearing the nature-based solutions that were coming out. That was one of the things that like, I got, excited. I always like the the hairs sit on the back of my neck a little bit when we could actually hear that we can do something about it. And I love hearing when we can bring in that nature-based solution to start, uh, start to alleviate that urban heat island effect as well.
1: So one thing I'll add on the regional differences that I found fascinating, I already knew that like when you think about Arizona, dry heat, you think about Florida, it's wet heat. And and I knew that I'd heard about the difference even from like, you take the I-10 corridor and extreme heat looks different depending on what side of the I-10 corridor you're on. But we had some of the presenters were talking about uh, how in some of our southern states that have really humid heat, they want to make sure that things are safe enough for like their football teams to like go practice. And so they've developed, like there was this whole other type of alerting about how that takes humidity into an account because of the way humidity affects the human body. And so that was really fascinating from an early warning perspective about really translating what extreme, what those weather alerts mean. And it was also fascinating to me to hear at the extreme heat summit, some of the biases in in the data we hear all the time. We hear about the, like the heat index or what things are going to be like. And it took I think that Tom will correct me here if I'm wrong, but the, it it assumed a human being that was like 150 pounds and five eight. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure the U.S. average is not that and so there's all these things behind the numbers that uh and and how you measure heat and what type of heat uh monitoring and communication matter most to different regions there was an element of early warning early action for all that that was uh, that that was uh, newer for me
3: Yeah, Victoria, you bring up a good point too. You know, as you're talking about this, it's reminding me of when Sherman Gillums, our director of disability integration, started talking about the disability community and the challenges that the disability community uh, faces and the preparations that they need to know of. Also too, how different extreme heat advisories, watches, and warnings are across the country. It's not the same. You know, it's a little bit different across. So when you start talking about there are differences... It's really fascinating to see how we can take this one topic, but you can actually really take it, take it to another level. One last thing, and this was really, uh, really eye-opening, when we were talking about the occupational health. Uh, Victoria bring it up, about heat indexes versus wet bulb globe temperatures. And it was during the occupational health session. and one of the things they talked about was, we need to start treating heat stroke and heat, like the heat illness like we treat heart attacks. And if we start doing that, we're going to find that we can actually start to save lives as well. So it was fascinating. And then Dr. Moore Merrill brought in the whole component of the public safety community into it too. That's when it was, oh my gosh, it affects everyone in so many different ways.
0: Victoria, amidst all of the uh, the discussion about the impacts and how serious this is and how it is, uh, you know, it, continuing to be a present danger and challenge for so many of our emergency management partners. Um, there's also opportunities and we talked about uh, a few of them during the summit, but you know, from your perspective, what are some opportunities or what are, what are some efforts underway, um, out there throughout the country that you're particularly excited about as we try to translate this conversation into, into something tangible, something that's happening.
1: There are so many exciting things happening in this space of reducing exposure to extreme heat at the hyper local level i was talking with the chief resilience officer of jacksonville florida who's like this summer is like they're they're doing kind of hyper local uh, having their their residents go out and do kind of micro temperature taking to understand on the same day across the city where you've got those pockets of extreme heat and so that translates and then to Better projects? Where are they going to apply for resources for nature based solutions? Where are they going to put covered bus, bus, bus shelters? Where are they going to do all these things? So, there's a lot happening at the local government, city and county level across the US. We're also seeing at the FEMA level and across federal agencies a lot of um, resources available to tackle extreme temperatures writ large. We're seeing both through the Biden Harris administration's focus on climate resilience. Um, Department of Energy, USDA, a bunch of different organiza- agencies getting massive amounts of funding for something that seems very traditional, weatherization. The weatherization and, and, and getting money to weatherize your home is preparedness for extreme heat, right? Like You want to make sure your AC is working and you're not expending undue resources. You want to make sure that your house isn't getting too cold. So there's a lot of different Tools that have become available. And we're even seeing with like some of our past and uh, great uh, applications to our to our programs, uh, hazard mitigation grant program. This is, a, I'm gonna give, give you an older example, but it's a big one, Sandy Recovery. We had the New York City Housing Authority put in, uh, th- it was a $3.2 billion project that included things like backup generators, surge protection improvements, all of these different things that included flood flood measures as well to avoid flooding but to make the housing more resilient. So you're seeing different organizations, agencies take these these actions and take these steps and we're seeing small examples too and I'll give I'll stick with the New York for a second that I something that I found really exciting from and again FY20 but um we saw New York City's Department of Transportation they got a brick grant to conduct a pilot that was that helped them explore ways to lower temperatures along the streets of east harlem and brooklyn and the bronx and like like we talked about in the last time i joined you the temperature in the bronx and the temperature in like central park on the same day it is a multi-degree difference because of the hardscape of of, of those cities and and so our, our small grant three and twenty thousand dollars but bringing in new strategies for tree-lined streets, extra shade, watering, misting stations, different types of pavement, like technology is evolving. Cool pavement is something that many jurisdictions are looking at to like bring down the temperature. So that's what I'm really excited about is that we are seeing at the hyper-local level, there's been a lot of energy in action. Jurisdictions trying to try test out new technologies and building materials and the federal support is catching up so that we can see the confluence of energy and action with resource mobilization. So I think we, uh, with more awareness, we're going to have a lot, uh, we're going to be able to shift that needle downwards in terms of the, uh, the, we'll be able to cool things off. I'm confident we can get there.
0: <laughs> I-, I loved this, some of the discussion about city planning.
3: Oh yeah, that was so much fun.
0: We had a representative from a regional planning uh, consortium here in uh, in Northern Illinois, Uh, talking about how they're applying some of these uh, heat reduction efforts throughout, just as, as communities are talking about revitalizing, uh, you know, their public spaces and bringing those things there. Uh, It's pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, you you bring up uh, the Chicago metropolitan area and planning and CMAP as they call it here in Chicago. And they were talking about their, it was a 2050 initiative of where they're really looking at how to alleviate uh, heat, heat islands across not just chicago but across the entire metropolitan area and it does it like it nests you know we as emergency managers we always talk about our traditional versus non-traditional partners and we have such a great opportunity right now with all of this grant funding especially through our resilience team at headquarters uh in in conjunction with all of our teams in the regions to really support building out resilience as it relates to extreme heat
0: justin uh, you participated in the uh extreme heat summit as well And uh, I'm interested from your take as the director of external affairs, one of the sessions was on preparedness and messaging, but really, it's hard to have any of these conversations that took place during the summit without bringing into play messaging. So I wanted to get your take on that as the uh, director of external affairs.
2: Absolutely. No, I appreciate the question. Appreciate this conversation. And thank you, Tom and Victoria, for your leadership in this space for our agency. It's really exciting. And a lot of really rich dynamic work ahead of us. You know, In the summit hearing from all the different panelists about both the challenges with communicating extreme heat because of the fact that it's not one isolated event sometimes it lasts for days weeks or longer Um, and all the programs and resources and data that are included right so the whole time during the summit I always think of the world through the lens of how do we communicate this information simply and easily and one of the things that just became very obvious to me sitting in that room with my communications leadership with me i had lee Krager, who's the director of already campaign um, and and others was really you know thinking about underserved communities right the communities among us that are disproportionately impacted by all disaster, but especially extreme heat, right? These are communities that I refer to as um, historically shut out, left out, and oftentimes forgotten, right? Work that we are actively trying to correct and to adjust here at the agency. Um, But these are communities that just surviving today is a luxury, right? People who are working two jobs, who are taking care of children and an elderly parent, who are also living in a rural area and can't access a lot of the programs and systems that are designed for more urban spaces, right? If you're an older adult and you are isolated or have a disability, um, if you are within a community of color and are within a community that is um, historically underserved um, across the board, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera just making it through today is a challenge. And so putting that through the lens of extreme heat, when there are people who are working outside, who don't have the luxury of going to a cooling center, when there are people who are faced with uh, an electricity bill that's that's super high over the summer months and are struggling to pay for rent, but also now uh, a cooling bill, right? I also think about communities um, across the country that are dealing with a lot, right? From housing and education and economic development and uh, safety concerns and et cetera, et cetera. And I always think about the work that we do at FEMA through those two prisms because those are real. And while we are in and emergency managers are in a disaster construct, all the time before, during, and after, the people that we are here to serve and to support and to educate aren 't in the same spaces that we are, and so listening to this rich conversation during the summit, I kind of had an aha moment. My team and I had an aha moment of we need to you know turn the narrative and the and the work in the extreme heat space through the operational Kind of action oriented cadence of emergency management right what i love about emergency managers is that emergency managers if you could define them by one word i define it by action emergency managers take action they learn of a problem they quickly figure out how to bring people together and to work across different systems and and government structures and community partners to solve and find a pro- a, a solution and that's quickly what we were doing in our minds because the extreme heat conversation, while rich and dynamic with data and evidence and solutions and projects and ideas and different programs, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And one thing that the Ready campaign does that we're really proud of and it's been doing since its inception has been to really take the information that exists on all hazards and really distilling it down to very simple, straightforward bite sized pieces of information, right? How do we help communicate to individuals and communities very simple information to help them take action?
0: I, I just want to uh, highlight something that, that you're talking about. I mean, we're really talking about turning that heat summit, the conversations that we've had internally into that action, right? And I'm, I'm so excited for, for you um, as you lead us through this summer ready came and The
2: reason why we're here in, in this conversation right now Um, So where do you see that going? Given all this context, uh, how to provide the framing and the context, because this is very new for folks in the extreme heat space, which is this emergency management focused on how to simplify the message. And this summer we're launching um, to do just that. Uh, Summer Ready campaign, hashtag Summer Ready. It's going to be the theme for FEMA as we work in partnership with our federal partners, NOAA, um, HHS, and others to really help make sure that we are creating a campaign designed for the emergency management community to be empowered with information that they can then help disseminate to their communities. And this Summer Ready campaign is really into two categories. One is on the individual, right? We want to make sure that individuals understand, one, their risk, right? Victoria lifted this up in the beginning of the conversation, that the more people understand their risk, the easier it is to start them on their journey to get prepared or to do uh, take actions to mitigate on that risk. And the administrator says this a lot, right? We need to help educate people on their risk. And so building awareness of the implications of extreme heat is part one. Part two is then what are the simple actions that you can then take to start getting prepared now, right? Before that heat event or during that heat event, what are the things you can do very simply, tangibly, um, nugget of information to get you started, right? Part one is community, Part part one is individuals, part two is community. You know, Victoria lifted up an example of of the percentage of brick application projects that are focused on extreme heat. We're working with her team to really help lift up that truth and do some education this summer about the funding that's available to communities specific to extreme heat, getting the word out early and often all summer long to not only educate communities like we're doing with individuals on the impacts of extreme heat, but that there's funding and support available To help them do something about it, right? This is about helping to take this very difficult, complex topic and distilling it down into something that's very simple and bite sized, right? For us, being summer ready means one, understanding the risk, and two, understanding what you can do about it. In the year 2023, there's a reason why communities and individuals still haven't taken the steps to prepare for these hazards like extreme heat. How do we take that truth and not add on layers that will prevent them from actually taking action, but start to meet people where they are in ways that will actually entice them and help them to take those steps? You know, one thing I would add about this campaign that I'm really looking forward to is specific to this podcast is one of the future episodes of the Summer Ready Podcast will Really lift up the voices of states and locals and uh, leaders from tribal nations, territories to, to understand what solutions others are advancing, right? We don't have all the answers at FEMA um, and we need to be thinking about and lifting up those solutions and practices of others because we're only going to figure this out as we come together more. Have these conversations learn from each other and those best practices and so really proud that this campaign is designed to lift up others lift up other voices lift up other partners you know one of the other actions that we're taking in july will be a national webinar with cert our community emergency response teams and really help activate this integral essential community to have a conversation around heat so that as they're going door to door, as they're having booths at events around preparedness, as they're working hand in hand with fire stations and first responders and emergency management at all levels, they have the tools and resources to help us be a partner to promote the steps to get ready for extreme heat. That's those are just some of the examples of the work that this campaign will be doing this summer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before,
0: During and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov podcast.